Time change next week. Is it forward? Forward. So you guys, the tendency would be is you guys would be late. So don't be late. All right. All right. Don't be late next week. All right. We ready? Let's roll. What did I do with my clicker? Here we go. So we are in like week, I don't even know anymore, eight or nine of Exodus. Uh, and so we've been calling this series Welcome to the New because what I want you to make sure you understand, and I had this talk with the youth today, but really it's a good conversation for everybody. Don't just be people who gather knowledge, be people who learn to apply it to your lives. Right, like there's some people who could sit there and they can tell you about Mount Everest because they read a book about it or they walked a, watched a documentary about it. And then there's people who can tell you about Mount Everest because they've stood on top of it. As Christians, we need to be the people that have, can tell you about God not because we read a book about Him, but because we've experienced Him. Because we know Him, because we love Him, because we've been in His presence. We are not going through the book of Exodus so that you can tell somebody the ten plagues from memory. We're not going through the book of Exodus so that you can tell me the story of Moses. If all you get away from this is some set of book knowledge that you can repeat for someone, it doesn't matter. God chose these stories to tell us so that you and I would be able to sit and look at them and realize that there is truth in them that is eternal. Truth that mattered not just to Moses and to these people, but truth that reveals to you who he is and truth that reveals to you on your journey what you are supposed to be doing and what you are supposed to be looking for. Unfortunately, as Christians, we have become students who can maybe tell you a few facts, but we do not live it. In fact, if you talk to kids who leave the church, and I've shared this with you before, 90% of the kids who grow up in church at 18 leave. I'm not talking about the ones that didn't grow up in church. I'm talking about the ones who grew up in the church, leave. 90% of them. And if you go talk to them, you know why? They go, because it didn't matter. They talked about a bunch of stuff on Sunday, and then my parents and everybody I knew lived just like everybody else. So what's the point? I mean, there's some value in me showing up at church on Sunday morning just so I can live my life like everybody else? Why? And what that tells you is as Christians, we've taken this and we've turned this into an intellectual thing. Maybe we use it for some peak high emotionally on Sundays. And then for the rest of the time, we just live like everyone else. God gave you this, not just to learn and go, look what I learned about the Bible. He gave you this so that you could sit here and go, I get what he's saying to me in my life in this moment about how I'm supposed to live and how I'm supposed to interact with him. If you don't get that, you might as well be in children's church. Amen. Because that's what kids do, right? Kids sit there and read the story about David and Goliath, and they walk away and go, yeah, it was about this little dude beating a giant. And if you ask them, well, what does that mean to your life? They're like, I don't know. That the little dude beat the giant? They're not getting yet that what that means is even in the face of insurmountable odds, if you are on the side of God, God can overcome the impossible. Amen. But you should. And unfortunately, I think there's some of us that you walk away from six weeks in the book of Exodus and you're like, yeah, we learned about some guy named Moses. He murdered somebody and then ran to the desert and then argued with a pharaoh. What's it mean to you? Oh, I just told you. 
there was a guy named Moses, and he lived in the desert, and then he got in an argument with Pharaoh. That's not about you. What are you learning in your journey with God? Be explorers who sit here realizing that, yes, today we're looking at the map, but tonight, as soon as I leave, I'm going to go climb that mountain. So I pay attention in a different way because this isn't just knowledge I have for the sake of knowledge. This is something I have to motivate me and encourage me in life. If we're not doing that, we're doing it wrong. And so throughout this, we've said this is a journey about us moving out of a world of sin, moving out of a world of worldliness that has its own success metrics, and moving into God's world where things work differently. And so three truths we keep coming back to that we call the key to the series have been these three verses. The first is in Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Pick who you serve. Pick who you serve and realize you can't have two. There are many of us on Sundays who go, I am a Christian and God is my Lord. And then we live the rest of the week serving the world. Pursuing money, pursuing comfort, pursuing the things of our own hearts, but not pursuing the will of God. That's having two masters. Now look, none of us are going to be perfect at this. But what we should be able to see is if that somebody sat and watched your life, they would go, their servant to God. That person tries with their best to follow the Lord. They're not perfect at it, but I see what direction they're running, and they are running to Him. I think there's a lot of people, if they'd not listen to you, they'd just watch you, they wouldn't know where you were running to. They'd sit there and they go, they're running to money. They're running to popularity. They're running to the world. They're running to the same things everybody else is running to. Only one master. Pick who that is. Second, along this journey, if we have trusted in the Lord, if we've said, my master is God, understand that you have to throw everything out. I've told you this before. We, as American Christians, like to add Jesus to our existing life. We go, this is my world, this is what I've built, I have a few gaps, Jesus, fill those for me. But the rest, just keep in place. We bring him in like he's a handyman. Right? I don't want you to look at this stuff, I need you to help me right over here with this. That's it. And God goes, you don't get this. I'm not your handyman. I'm here to knock all this down and to rebuild from the start. I'm not here for little things, I'm here for everything. And so when we give everything to Him, what we have to understand is we can no longer lean on our old understanding. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. His point, you guys don't know where I'm going. You don't understand how it works. And so along this path, you have to have faith in me. When I give you directions that don't make sense, you trust in me and you keep following them. You can't use logic anymore because your logic is corrupted. You hear your father's voice and you come to it. And then thirdly, along that journey, you become different. 1 Peter 1, 14-16, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
So because we are following Him, because we are trusting in Him, and we are in His presence, we become different. We become what is called holy, meaning set apart. You can look at me in the midst of the world and realize I am set apart from that world. I live and look differently. If those things are not happening, I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you're headed. If you're just here to get a spiritual high on Sundays, this whole thing's a waste of time. God is in this to change who you are. And so as we look at this story of Exodus, we are not just learning about these people leaving Egypt and going to Israel. We are learning about what it's like to leave a world of sin and move into a world of holiness. We are learning what it's like to stop being our own masters and to start letting God lead us along the way. Now go with me. Let's jump into Exodus chapter 13. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the entire story of Exodus. And as we've gone through Exodus, there's been some hard stuff to digest. Right? We've seen in Moses that there are no perfect human beings, even a guy like this who is this historical figure, who is one of the greatest leaders of all time. We see in him these sins popping up. We've seen God's wrath on full display in ways that as humans we struggle with. Wrath so vicious, wrath so brutal, wrath so powerful that we're all taken back. And now what we get to see though is the loving, compassionate Father God. And so in Exodus 13, let's just start going through it and see what God shows us in this journey. It's now finally, Pharaoh has let the people go. And God is starting them on this transition into a new world. Exodus chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 17. It said, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although this was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Do you see God the Father orchestrating things here? He knows on this journey that He could take them through the straight path, which would go right through their enemy's territory, the enemy of the Philistines. But he goes, I know my people. They're barely hanging on to me right now. They are barely holding on to this. I'm surprised I've even gotten them this far. If I take them through war, even though I know I can bring victory, I know they're not ready yet. I know they're not ready yet. So we're going to go the long way. We're going to go the long way so that they don't lose heart. I love that because that shows how obsessed God is with you and what He knows about your path and your way. There was a faster way to get God to the results He wanted, but He was sitting there watching His children knowing they're not ready yet. You know, I should pay attention to that because often we're sitting in a place going, why isn't God doing more? I'm ready. I'm ready. I told Him I'm here. I'm ready to go. Should more things be happening in my life? Have you ever felt like you're like in that holding pattern? Like anybody fly regularly? Isn't that the worst feeling when you're on the, the you're on the plane, you're all crammed in, and then you just are stuck waiting for your turn to go? Right? And there's literally just like all the electronic devices are off, the air conditioning's not blowing right, you're realizing how crammed in you are with these people, and you're just like, when are we gonna move? When are we gonna move? When are we gonna move? Some of us spiritually are in that place in life. 
you should realize is God understands that and he has a reason for it. You may think you're ready for takeoff and he's going, no you're not. Not yet. He is taking you the direction and the way that is necessary for where you're at. He has purpose in where you are right now. And so even if the Israelites had a map, they would have sat there and gone, hey God, this is the long way. You know? Waze is telling me we could save six hours if we go this direction. And God's going, this isn't about speed right now. This is about you following me and trusting that I know the right path for where you're at. You're not ready for war yet. And not because we would lose, you're just not ready for it. It's God paying attention to his people. God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And I love that little piece there, right? That means they should have all been waiting for this at some point in their lives. That's one of those throwaway statements that we sometimes just jump right over and we miss what God was saying. Joseph, the man who 400 years ago brought these people to Egypt, had told them in his own lifetime, be waiting and be listening because at some point God's going to come get you and take you back home. And he made him promise, don't you leave my bones here. When we go back home, you take me back home. And so what I love about people is it's interesting what we choose to remember. Right? Clearly they remembered Joseph didn't want to be left there. 400 years earlier, they remembered, oh wait, Joseph was very clear about this. We are not supposed to leave him here. Yet, do you know what they forgot? God's going to call us home at some point. God's going to call us home at some point. It was just like when Jesus was talking to his disciples about his death. Most of them remembered. He said this would happen. He said he would die. Yet all of them were shocked three days later when he rose. Even though regularly he'd been like, in three days after I die, I'll come back. Regularly he'd shared that. Yet in the moment, they're like, well, we remember the death part. We just totally forgot about that whole you coming back. You and I got to be careful that when we listen to God, we listen completely to what he's saying. Now look at 21. This is one of the most beautiful visuals of how God the Father loves you. How God the Father absolutely loves you. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Can you imagine being an Israelite in this moment? Like one, just like think about emotionally who you are. You've been a slave for your whole life. All that you're used to is being beaten, treated less than a human being, never respected, never honored, never having any free will in anything that you do. And it's been that way for generations. Now here you are, and yes, you're leaving slavery, but you're also leaving everything that you know. You don't know how to protect yourself. You don't know where you're going. You don't have a map. There has to be unbelievable amounts of unknown fear coming into your life. I mean, let's be honest. Besides public speaking and death, 
what most people hate is the unknown. Right? I mean, how many of you have chosen to stay in a bad place because at least you know the bad place versus leaving it for the unknown? Have you ever made that decision? Like, yeah, I hate my job. Can't stand it. But I'm just going to stay here because I know how to survive here. Didn't you just say you hate your job? Yes, but I understand it. I know it. Who knows what's out there? So these people could be in unbelievable fear. And what does God decide? I will visibly show them that I am here. I will visibly show them that they are not alone. And not only does he show it to them in such a beautiful way, he shows it to them in such a practical way. If you've ever been in the desert, walking in daytime, what can't you find? Shade. Shade. How glorious to have this huge cloud covering the people. And then the other beauty of the desert is what happens amazingly at night. It's freezing, right? All day you're burning up. Your skin's scorched. You can't breathe because it's so hot. The sun goes down. All of a sudden you're like, I'm freezing. And so what does God give them at night? Fire. Fire that both lights their way to see any dangers and to warns them so they can keep moving forward. This is God the Father not only taking care of them physically, but taking care of them emotionally. I know you're lost, but I'm here. I know you don't know where I'm going, but you see me. It's beautiful. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, I love that they don't know where they're going. Honestly, I think sometimes the problem for you and I is we live in the Google generation. Do you remember when your kids would ask you a question and you could be like, I don't know. Now if you say that to your child, what do they tell you? Just Google it. In fact, my kids don't even ask me. They're like, Dad, can we Google this? They don't go, Dad, what's the answer? They're like, Dad, can you just get me to Google? Just gain me access to Google and we'll take care of it. I mean, I really remember as a child there being questions you'd ask your dad and be like, I don't know. We might actually have to go to the library for that. Now you just Google it. We're so used to having information. Not only that, you're, you're like, if you have internet access or cell signal, you're never lost anymore. You're just never lost anymore. You always feel like you know where you are. And you know what's terrible about that? It gives you false confidence that you know where you're at. You don't. You don't know. These people not knowing the direction was beautiful because all they kept their focus on is, am I in the presence of God? Their focus that day wasn't on, are we on the best path to Israel? Their focus was, is am I in the cloud? I'm here. I don't really know where we're headed. I don't know the fastest route, but here's what I know. Wherever that is, that's where I need to be. Wherever that cloud is, that's where I'm going to be. You and I, we don't think like that all the time. We see God over here, but we're like, yeah, you're over here, but I kind of want to be going that way, God. I think I'm just going to, I'm going to go this way and I'll let you know if I need help. And God's going, you fool. I'm taking you the right path. Stop acting like you know where you're going and stay with me. There's a reason I'm taking you this way. And so in God, we see this beautiful leadership. This isn't a God who dispassionately sits above and goes, I've given my commands, go. 
This is a God who goes, I know my people. I know what they're ready for and what they're not ready for. And I know they need to see me in this moment. I will take care of their physical needs and I will take care of their spiritual needs. This is why we say we love God more than anything else. Amen. This is why as Christians you can say, I love God more than my wife. I love God more, more than my children. I love God more than anything. Because He's this kind of God. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, that's what I pray you're really working through in your own lives right now. I think there's some of you who believe God exists. I think there's some of you who like God. I think there's some of you who go, I kind of love the guy. The problem comes is when I go, do you love him more than all? Do you love him more than yourself? Do you love him more than your kids? Do you love him more than your wife? Do you love him more than your husband? There you go. Uh, ooh, that, I love him. <laughs> Let's not push it here. You remember, you remember Jesus standing in front of Peter right before he leaves? And he asked Peter, he says, do you love me? And he's saying, phileo, do you, or he's saying agape, do you love me more than everything? And Peter's like, I, I phileo love you. I like you like a brother. And God goes, do you love me more than anything? I love you like a brother. And she's like, you don't get it. It's not what I'm asking for. Not what I'm asking for. Some of you have God in your life, but He's fourth or fifth. He has to move to one. And if He's fourth or fifth, what I'm encouraging you to do is dig into this. Because the reason I think you've put Him there is you don't know Him yet. But I have complete confidence is when you dig into this Word and you see who He is, you will realize why He should be loved more than anything else. This is a God that for people who had left Him, forgotten about Him, ignored Him and acted like He didn't exist, He has now freed them, brought justice to them, and is now leading them to the promised land that they don't deserve at all. And in that, He doesn't even do it the most efficient way. He does it in the way that is best for them. That is a God that loves and so what we need to see about Father God is just that. God protects His people. He absolutely protects His people. Now He's doing it from His view, not from ours. And so what we need to understand as God's people is that when we walk with Him, when we let Him lead, there's this envelope of protection that you and I have. Look at Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I, your God, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you notice how much of that was put on you? What well, about God? Is he's kind of like, I, I got this. Like, you guys get caught up in, are we going to be victorious or not? <laughs> We're going to be victorious. I've got that part. I just need you to trust me. If you trust me, I got it. Let the fear go. Let the worry go. Let the stress go. And know that I, God, will strengthen you. I, God, will provide what you need. I, God, will lift you up. Amen. And what I love is he's not saying that he'll keep you away from these trials. He's just saying in them, I got it. I got it. Just trust me and I'll take care of it. Look at 2 Samuel 22, verses 3-4. through He says, My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. 
You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. You know what I love about how he writes there? You can tell he feels this, he believes this, because he can't find just the one right word. So he gives you all of it. Right? This is my God. He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. He's like, I want you to get this. He's not just my buddy. He's not just bailing me out. He is everything to me this moment. Everything. It reminds me, like, have you ever noticed how we just can't write the perfect love song? Like, turn on the radio. How many songs, unless you listen to the rap station, are about love? Just like countless songs are about love. And what I love is, we like all of them. And yet, we've never had a moment where we've listened to a love song and gone, that's it? (laughs) That's the perfect one. It completely, 100% describes love. No other song ever needs to be sung. The reason we have a billion love songs is, you can get close, but you can never fully put into words what it is. What you feel, what you know, it's bigger than words can ever contain. And you see that here with Samuel. He's describing his God and he's like, I'm trying to get you to understand this. I'm using every adjective I know, but he is bigger than all those things. Amen. What I fear for you guys, what I fear for myself, is if we can really truly describe our God with few words. Like, I don't want to be the guy who can sit there and you go, who's God? And then two sentences I tell you, and you're like, oh, that was a good definition. I want to be able to have to sit there and struggle to describe God to you because He's so big. He's so magnificent. He's so awesome that I just can't tell you everything about Him. you got to see it. you got to see it. Don't you hate those moments when you've experienced something and you're trying to share it with people who weren't there? And, and you, you realize that as you're sharing, it's just like, ugh, you just had to be there. You just had to be there. That's how I used to always feel about theology class. We were talking about God, and like everything we were saying was good, but it's not experiencing God. God can't be contained by those words. Have you had that? Have you seen that pillar of fire over you at night and gone, that's God? God protects His people. But there's something I want you to pull out of this. Because if we just stop there and go, God protects His people, here's the problem. We walk out and we turn that into just book knowledge and go, okay, so if I'm a good person, God will watch out for me. Great. So I will go to God when I need protection. Because that's what you and I do. We turn God into our helpline. We turn God into our mechanic. We turn God into our handyman. And what we do is we try to lead all day, every day. And when things break and we can't figure it out anymore, we go, okay, wait, I learned about this. If I need protection, I go to God. I'll take care of this. What you need to understand is why does he protect his people? And the reason is because of the relationship he has with them. God's not just your God. He's your Father. And if you don't have that relationship, all the benefits he offers don't matter. It has to be that he is the father, that you are the child. Look with me in Exodus 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Phiathrim, between Migdal and the sea. 
in front of Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so the people did so. And so what you see set up here is, is on this journey, they've come to this dead end. They're now sitting there in the wilderness. There's a choke point. There's not a lot of direction to go. They have the sea in front of them. They have things around them, and all that is behind them is Egypt. And what God tells Moses is Pharaoh's heart will be hardened in this moment. The emotions have passed of the plagues. He's going to look out and realize, I've let my entire workforce go. It was stupid. Let's go get them. He's going to raise up his army, and he's going to pursue. But don't worry, Moses. This is all part of the plan. This is all part of the plan. And so we see exactly that happen. If you read through all the passages, what you will see is you will see Pharaoh gathers his army and he comes after the people of Israel. Look at verse 10 of 14. It said, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Small point, but do you notice where their eyes went? Throughout the journey to this point, where were their eyes every day? On the cloud, on God, on His presence. And with that, there was no fear. What does Satan try to do? He tries to pull our eyes from that to see the things around us. And so they stop looking at God, and they look around and go, we're in trouble. We got a sea in front of us. We got the greatest army in the world behind us. What now? And now they fear greatly. God is always trying to keep your focus on Him. Satan is always trying to pull your focus back down to here. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not that what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I want you to hold on to something there, because some of you, We are those Israelites. Those Israelites were only following God at that moment for what God could offer them. At that moment, they were pursuing God not because they were in love with God. They were following God because they were under the assumption that in following Him, life would be better. They were following God for freedom. They were following God to not be slaves anymore. They were following God for the promised land. They were following God for wealth. And the moment they sit there and realize these things may not come our way, what do they say? We should have just been slaves in Egypt. I would have rather been there. I think what they're saying, I would rather die with some of what the world offers than to die with God. This is not about relationship to them. This is about stuff. I would rather have some stuff and live than to die with God. And what we all should really say in our lives, I'd rather die in the wilderness with God. 
I'd rather die in this wilderness with him by my side than to be anywhere else in the world. But these folks are just following for what God offers. If we're real, there's some of us, that's why we first came to God. We came to God because we were trying to beat addiction. We came to God because we were trying to beat our anger. We came to God because we were trying to fix our marriage. We came to God because we had financial problems. We came to God because we had so many problems. We didn't know what to do. We're like, I might as well pray to God. Let's see if that works. But we came to God, not for Him, but for what we hoped He could give us. The problem with that, that's not a relationship. Not one based in love. That's not a relationship where you go, that's my father. Nothing changes that. If you're on this journey because you're waiting for God to cash in for you, get off the road. Do you know what the gift is? The gift is Him. The gift is Him. It's not any of His stuff. That's why I always tell people, don't focus on heaven. This isn't about heaven. This isn't about living a certain way so that one day you get to go to paradise. You're already there. Because every day, lowly, sinful, broken you that deserves death gets to talk to the almighty, perfect God. Every day, you and I get to know His love. Every day, you and I who should be punished, who should be facing torment, to look at him and say, Father. And he looks at us and says, Child. That's the gift. That's the beauty. And if we miss that, we miss everything. It's funny, God as our Father is something that you and I just take for granted so much now. We miss the power of that statement. Look at a few things with me here. Go ahead and leave your place there and flip with me to John chapter 5. For the sake of time, I'm going to jump a little bit in John chapter 5, but I want you to pick up on something that happens here. In John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, you see Jesus is about to perform one of his miracles. He comes to this pool of Bethesda, and at this pool you have a bunch of people who are sick, who are hurt, who are ailing, and they go to this pool with the belief that the waters can heal them. And there's this one man who is crippled, and so whenever the waters stir, which is when they think this is how you get your healing, he can never get there in time. He can never get there in the time. He just isn't going to make it. No one's going to help him. And so we see Jesus in this setting. And Jesus, of course, being the giver of life, performs a miracle and he heals this man. And so look at verse 4 of chapter 5. I'm sorry, verse uh, 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, and listen, 
Listen to how he answers and listen to the response. Jesus answered them, My father is working until now. I am also working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Do you understand in Jesus' culture, calling God your father was a murderable offense? How dare you take the Almighty and make him common to you? You think you can call God father? Like, like you have something in common? That like Almighty, perfect God would ever talk to you? How dare you? And what you can see about these people, I mean, the Pharisees are just mind-boggling in how hardened their hearts are, right? A man who's been paralyzed and blind for his whole life gets healed. They're like, why are you carrying your bed today? No one pauses and goes, hey, how are you walking right now? They're like, you are breaking the rules. It's not supposed to happen. If you want to do that tomorrow, that's fine. But for right now, sit down and be lame. And the guy, I love the guy's response. Hey, the guy who healed me told me to pick up my bed. I picked up my bed. But besides all this, what makes them most furious is Jesus going, my father. And what we really learn is the word Jesus used most frequently was Abba, which is like dad. Dad. For me and our family, we're more less formal, so it'd be weird if my children never called me father. It doesn't really happen. I'd be like, what is going on right now? <laughs> father, I needeth to speak with you. <laughs> no, in our house, it's like, hey, dad, dad, daddy, dad, hey, dad, daddy, dad, right? That's my name at home. And it's a very informal name that comes from the intimacy between us. I love the name dad because you know what's funny? Every parrot can be called dad. Yet that word is more special to me than any other word. Even though there's 25 other dads in this room right now, when my boys walk in and say, dad, that is a more powerful word than any other word that can be spoken. Because that word dad isn't about the definition of dad. It's about those boys see me in a way that they see no other human being. There's a relationship between us that no one else can have. And that's what Jesus declared when he called God Father. When he said, Dad. He looked at those Pharisees and go, you guys have been so awestruck with God's power that you've never talked to him. You've been so awestruck by what God can do for you that you don't even know his voice. You sit here with all your rules about him. I sit here with him. With him. And so as we go back and look at Exodus, what I ask you is, who are you? Are you Pharaoh, where you're so hardened in heart, you think you're your own God? Yeah, maybe you think there's a God, but day in, day out, you make the rules. Day in, day out, you do what you want to do. Day in, day out, you will crush anything that tries to stop you from having what you want. Are you one of those Israelite people who's following God only because you think he's going to give you stuff? You're like, yeah, I'll go with God as long as he has the best offerings for me. The moment somebody else can offer more, I'll, I'll get off this train and go that one. I'm in this for what God can give me. Or are you sitting there 
like Moses, like Jesus, and going, I follow Him because that's my Father. It does not matter what stands before me. It does not matter what stands behind me. All that matters right now is that I am with Him. That's it. If that's you, that's the only people in this room who actually get what Christianity is. Don't settle for any of the other stuff. Don't settle for wanting the things He has to offer. Want Him completely and fully. If you look back at Exodus 13 or 14, I absolutely love what Moses says to those people in chapter 14, verse 13. It's something I think we need to take to heart. Because there's some of us were, were those Israelites right now. We look before us and we see an insurmountable sea. We don't know how to get through. And we look behind us and we see an enemy charging at us. We know we can't move, but we don't know where to go. And I love how Moses says to them, Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at anything else around you. Look at your Father. Jesus died on that cross, not just to wash away your sin, but to make you children of God. He died to make you children. Look at John 14.6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What did His death do? It took you from being foreigners and said, no, here is the way to be His child. No longer are you outsiders. Through me, through Jesus, you get to call Him Dad. And then in Romans 8.15 it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I pray you can look at God and call Him Abba. I pray you can look at God and you can call Him Abba and it's not weird. I pray that's the relationship you have with Him. I mean, don't get me wrong, we can all say the word. But it'd just be like if somebody else besides my boys walked in and called me Dad. I'd be like, okay, that's interesting. Not true, but okay. There's some of us, if we looked at God and said, Father, He's like, I don't really know you. I'd love to, but right now I don't really know you. And there's others we can say that. We can look at God and call Him Dad. Doesn't matter where we are, doesn't matter what we've done, we can look at Him and we can call Him Dad. And He goes, my child, I love you. As we go into our time of prayer, go to your Father. Talk to Him. Don't ask Him for stuff. Talk to Him. And acknowledge where you sit today. And if you're someone that's just heard about Him or known about Him, ask Him not just to be someone, ask Him to be Dad. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
I felt fire from above I've been down to the river I ain't the same A prodigal returns Let's all stand and sing with me
Don't we have an awesome Father? Yes, we do. Do not let your eyes be pulled away from Him this week, folks. Remember, He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. There's no room for fear. Amen. And you have a mission to go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. So get to it. Have a great week. I love you guys, and I'll see you next week. James? Now we got Sundays uh, uh, for next Sunday school and Wednesday night study. Don't Bible study sheets in the back, cake over here. So go that way and then go get the sugar. Alright? This world is not what it was meant to be. All this suffering There's a better place waiting for me in heaven